0: Good morning. We are uh, grateful to God for preparing our hearts to receive His Word this morning and to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and to receive new members into our body. Uh, there's a lot of blessing for God's people this morning, and we're grateful for that. Uh, we turn again our attention to the book of Galatians. I'm hoping that you're turning to Galatians chapter 1. and We'll begin in verse 6 this morning. We, we saw last week by verse 4 already that Paul was going to be focusing these churches that he's writing to in Galatia on the significance of the finished work of Christ. This is the solution to what is troubling them. This is what their sight needs to be fixed on. It's what our sight needs to be fixed on this morning. Uh, this particular audience is in danger, as we saw, uh, of being pulled away from you could put it this way, they're in danger of being pulled away from the message that saves a sinner. There's a message that, that uh, is proclaimed that when we trust in the claim that's given to us by God, we are saved. When you're pulled away from that saving message, you can land in a number of places, but they're all the same. Depart from that message, and the place you land is always a place of salvation by your own works. That's a danger that we have to confront as well in our own time. It's not unique to them. If we're talking about someone within another religion, it's the entire framework that they live in, this works-based effort. Every false religion is a works salvation religion. But even we as Christians have to battle regularly in this regard uh, because our fallen nature defaults to this idea. We know this to be true. If you've had recently one of those moments of sudden awareness, of remaining pride in you on one hand, or the sort of uh, guilt-ridden life that can remain and can creep up that doesn't really fit with someone who has been rescued from all condemnation, as Romans proclaims to us, when you have become aware of those things remaining inside of you as a believer, what you're battling with is this default notion of earning my place before God. And we have all been there. And we will be there again. And there are some, doubtless, in this room right now who are in that place struggling with those battles. And so the Lord speaks to us this morning from Galatians chapter 1. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We'll read verses 6 to 10 and i'll be reading from the english standard version i am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of christ and are turning to a different gospel not that there is another one but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of christ If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, we bow our heads once more as we enter your word, asking for your, uh, your enlightenment, your illumination by your spirit. We ask that you would guard us in our thinking and conform our emotions, our thoughts, every part of us to your word. We do, as Dennis mentioned, we pray for those who can't be here with us right now. We pray for those with us on the live stream who can't be with us bodily, cannot participate in our fellowship. Lord, we pray that you would keep them close to yourself. We pray that you would bring them back to us quickly. Lord, guard us all in these times and in this morning right now. Lord, help us to treasure your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen we're going to look at these four verses, these five verses, uh, both this week and next week. So this is sort of a part one of looking at these five verses. And what we're going to see is that Paul is going to convey to us three realities about the gospel in what he says here. So we could think about Paul's message this week as really an extended answer to the question, what is the gospel? That is such an interesting question to be asked, isn't it? What is the gospel? It's, it's, it's an absolutely foundational question. The gospel is constantly on our minds and on our lips as we gather together. And yet it's the kind of question that you might squirm at if someone asked you to stand right now and give us a, an answer to that question. Would you just be very comfortable standing and answering that? Uh, the, the reason that we might hesitate or might have a... Uh, a a difficulty is really because it can be difficult to boil down, Uh, and often that's what we try to do is we try to boil it down to the absolute essentials. Uh, How could I answer that question in a single sentence, for example? When we try to do that, we have to pick and choose what we're going to include, and we don't want to leave out anything especially important, and so it can be difficult, but we're not going to try to do that this morning boil it down. What we're going to do is try to expand and refresh our thinking as to what the gospel message is. And remember this is going to be key to this entire letter of Galatians because the whole point here is that they are in danger of leaving the true gospel behind. That's why Paul is astonished. That's why there's such urgency in this letter. He is concerned about what's happening in reference to the true gospel. So what do we gather from these verses before us this morning as far as the gospel is concerned? And We start in verse 6, really the first half of verse 6. Here's the first thing that we see. The gospel is the grace of Christ. Paul writes this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. It's one of those statements that we have a few of them in this letter that suggest that Paul probably knew some of these people, at least some of these churches were probably churches he had gone to and had helped found. We know he went to many churches in South Galatia on his first missionary journey. Uh, He at least, in terms of the whole of this area, knows something of the story or the timing of their conversion to Christ, and at this place in the letter, the place where in all the rest of Paul's letters, he breaks into thanksgiving as to how his, his uh, hearers, his readers have received the gospel and shown uh, their fruit. He does that in every other letter of his own. But in this letter, uh, in that place, we have no such giving of thanks. We have instead this statement of astonishment. And here's what seems to have happened with these believers. It seems that these people trusted in Christ and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3, verses 2 to 5 seems to to, uh, bear that out. But that quickly following this, a group of people from the outside showed up into these churches, a group known to history as the Judaizers. Uh, They've come in, and they've come in with some high uh, qualifications uh, and uh, some, some knowledge, and they've begun to confuse these believers. And what Paul is astonished at here is how susceptible they have been so far to this confusion. They've proven to be quite susceptible to the particular pressures and arguments and uh, leadings of this outside group. We'll talk about what false teaching they were bringing into the Galatian churches here in a few minutes when we get to verse 7. But in verse 6, there are a couple of things we need to notice. Do you notice that the gospel is equated by Paul with what he calls the grace of Christ. He's saying to them, you're deserting the true gospel, you're turning to a different gospel and in deserting the true gospel, what are you deserting? Well, You're deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. You're deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. The Galatians have not simply abandoned a theological position. Have they? They have abandoned a person or are in danger of abandoning a person. I think that's the sense we get through the letter. This is a danger that they are walking toward, not one that they've already uh, closed the door on. But they have abandoned or are in danger of abandoning a person, a personal loving God who has manifested that love by calling them in the grace of Christ. God calls His people effectually by bringing the gospel to them and by working faith in them in response to that gospel. And here, the way it's portrayed is that God calls them in the grace of Christ. Now, if you were here last week, then you've already heard Paul relate this gospel, this good news. It's what the word means, right? Gospel is just the good news that is declared. What is the good news of the grace of Christ? Well, it's what he laid out back in verse 4. How might we be rescued from this evil age? How could that happen? How might we find salvation? And his answer there was, Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the kind will of the Father and to the glory of God forever. This is what he's told them. But the Galatians are in danger of walking away from that message. And as Paul talks about the alternative to it, that they are entertaining, he makes clear an important truth when it comes to the gospel. This is the second uh, truth that we're taking out of this, in the second half of verse 6 and verse 7. Here's the second one. It's that the gospel is propositional truth, and thus it can be distorted. It is a truth claim that can be distorted. Verse 6, again, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So gospel means good news, okay. A message isn't gospel, just because someone calls it gospel, is it? This These people have come in declaring the true gospel as opposed to this message, this, this twisted message, man-pleasing message that Paul brought them, they're bringing the true gospel. But it has some tests it has to pass. It has to actually be good news if it's going to be a gospel. Just because you call it such doesn't make it such. I don't know if you're one who has kept up in recent years with all of the Marvel superhero movies that have come out. It's been a big If you've kept up with them at all, you know the main uh, villain named Thanos. Thanos has a really creepy guy with him all the time. He is a priest of Thanos. And what this guy does is he walks around after there's been a battle. And Thanos' enemies have been defeated. What's about to happen is they're about to be wholesale slaughtered. And what this priest does is he walks among the injured before they are all wiped out and he praises them and congratulates them. Congratulations for the salvation you have just received. Uh, He speaks of the honor that it has been for them to be rescued by this great warrior. And this is his message before his troops come through. and wipe them out. Well and we as the audience watch that in a sort of a a horror. This is an awful thing to see uh, right as someone is about to be killed. Just saying that they're receiving an honor and a rescue doesn't make it that, does it? Well this situation is the same. It's the same way with the gospel. For sinners like us there is only one piece of news that could be good news. It's the kind of news that's described in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And in places like Isaiah 53:5, which describe how God would do a thing like that, speaking prophetically of our Lord, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That, my friends, that's gospel. That is good news for sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God and are by nature children of wrath. That's the gospel. Paul says in verse 7 that they are turning away from this message, being led away and turning to a different gospel. And then he quickly adds something, he quickly adds to that, you can almost hear him, you can, you can see his mind working as he writes this sentence. This is such a human sentence to write, it's wonderful. You're turning to a different gospel, and then he says, not that there is another one, as we've said, this other message is no good news but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Where the ESV says, but but there are some who trouble you, it's two words which are usually translated, except that. This isn't the case, except that this situation has arisen. There isn't actually another gospel, except that there are some people troubling you who are trying to call their message a gospel. I wouldn't have even said you're turning to another gospel, except that they've made that claim with their message. One commentator, F.F. Bruce, puts it very well. He says, no one would think of calling this substitute message a gospel, Paul implies, except with the intention of confusing the minds of believers. Gospel, it is not. It is a message of bondage, not of freedom. It is a form of of a doctrine of salvation by law-keeping, from which Paul himself had been liberated by the true gospel. And that commentator is exactly right. We can tell from the rest of the letter that what these opponents were claiming was that to be a part of the true people of God, the Galatians needed to accept circumcision and submit to the Old Testament law. He brings up a number of of examples in Galatians that bear out just exactly what they are trying to insert here and add to Paul's message. If you're someone who takes notes in your Bible, you might note beside verse 7 a couple of other references from Galatians. You might note chapter 5 verses 2 to 6 and chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. And there are some others as well as we'll see, but those are very clear. it's, it's, it's obvious by his references to both of these things, not just to circumcision, but to uh, keeping the whole law, as he'll say in Galatians 5.3, that the confusion that's coming in has to do with covenant. It's a confusion concerning covenant relationship with God. Here's what they're being pressured to do. They're being pressured to return to old covenant realities and lifestyles for salvation. We began to talk last week about the old and new theme that Paul is going to make very, very significant in this letter. And this is the reason why. They're trying to bring in provisions of the Old Covenant and make them essentials for salvation for these Christians. And look at verse 7. What is that to do that? Can you see from verse 7 that it is, number one, trouble, And it is number two, a distortion of the gospel. I want us to think for a few minutes about why that would be. Why is it a distortion of the gospel to bring in, they're not bringing in pagan practices, they're bringing in commands from the old covenant into their uh, worship, into their approach to their relationship with God? Why would that be a distortion? After all, who is it that gave those old covenant commands and practices? Well, it was God, wasn't it? God gave them those commands and those practices. So, why would it be a distortion of the message of the good news of the grace of Christ? And we can understand that answer, uh, the answer to that, when we remember one very clear and simple reality, and it's that the old covenant was temporary by design, and by its very nature. It was serving a temporary purpose. This is something we'll look at much more closely when we come to chapters 3 and 4, but I want us to think a minute about consequences. What happens in other contexts in our life when we take something that was designed to be temporary and we make it permanent? Good things come out of a situation like that. Some kids in this room have braces in their mouth. What happens if their teeth straighten to the right place and then we just leave those braces on for the rest of their life? Health increases in that situation? No. Teeth get scarred and probably a host of other things. What about a cast on a leg? You break your leg. Set the break put it in a cast, and then never take the cast off ever again. Does that promote health in the life of that individual? You see how when a temporary thing becomes permanent, not only does it stop helping, but it actually starts to work against health in general, against the very intention that it was seeking to serve. We could go even further, though, in this situation that we're considering in Galatians. Because the problem is not just one of health, we also now are in danger of coming into the realm of insult. Sometimes when a temporary thing becomes permanent, insult can come in as well. I was thinking of of examples that we're familiar with and and a story came to mind. Do you remember the story, we read it sometimes around Christmas, The Gift of the Magi? It's published in 1905. This This has had some staying power, beautiful story. A poor, poor, newly married couple who love each other passionately. And it's Christmas time and they want to get a gift for each other, but they have no money to get a gift. They each have a possession that they prize above all their other possessions. For him, it's his gold pocket watch that was his grandfather's, right? For her, it's her hair, her beautiful long hair that has no equal in the whole city. Uh, And uh, just to cut it short, if you remember what, cut it short, I didn't actually plan to say that. If you remember what what happens, she cuts her hair off and sells it to have money to buy this expensive chain that will display his gold watch and also display her love, right? (coughs) For him, come on. Um, he uh, sells his gold watch in order to buy this expensive set of hair combs for her, to display and accentuate the beauty of her hair and to show his love for her. It's this beautiful story. Kind of a frustrating story, but a beautiful story. Well, let's twist the story a little bit. Let's say she loves her husband. She so loves him that she wants to buy him this gift that will bless him in the use of his pocket watch and will show her love for him, so she cuts her hair off and sells it. And to add to the situation, she packages it, wraps it up, puts it under their tree for a week. So he can't open it for a week. He has to look and wonder what it is, and he loves the mystery. He loves the excitement. And on Christmas Day, he opens it and sees it, and he's excited. But he so loved the mystery of the anticipation that he wraps it back up again, puts the paper back on, and it becomes a paperweight on his desk so he can see it and remember how he felt. Now, maybe there's, a, in a little way, some sweetness about him wanting to remember that mystery, but my goodness, what an insult to what she did. What an insult to the cost that it required of her to get this object for him to display and to be a blessing to him and also to show her love. No one sees her love now. That thing is wrapped up on the desk. No one knows what it cost. This is not just a cast that isn't taken off and there's a health issue. This is an insult. That wrapping was never meant to be permanent, it was never meant to stay there. It was preparatory for something much better. This is the sort of thing that Hebrews ten twenty nine speaks about in reference to coming back to old covenant realities in our relationship with God. It calls it an insult to the spirit of grace. I am insulting the Holy Spirit. I'm insulting the work of Christ. And any time we begin to think of our legal status before God as being helped or hurt by the deeds that we have done, we're in danger of exactly that. The works that I do or do not do are not a piece of the equation when it comes to my justification before a holy God. Christ died to set me free. He died to earn my forgiveness. And this is why the gospel then is the message of the grace of Christ. It's why it's a piece of propositional truth. It's a declaration of a truth claim about something that happened in a moment in time in history. And to add to it, to change it, to distort it into something that it is not, even if you're distorting it by bringing in things that God intended in the past, it's no longer a gospel. This leads us to the third thing that will see this morning in reference to this gospel, we see it in verse 8, and it's that the gospel is a settled, unchangeable reality. Look at what he says in verse 8. But even if we or an angel of heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. It really is what Jude says it is. It really is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That is the content of our faith, of our saving faith. And that just makes sense, doesn't it? Since the declaration of the gospel is from God, and since it is the declaration of the only hope given to sinful man for a rescue that has already taken place... Of course, this must be a settled, unchangeable reality. The Christian worldview is absolutely centered upon the conviction that there are such things as unchangeable truths that this world conforms to whether it admits them or not. And verse 8 is a strong way for Paul to state this. Think about what he's saying here. Now that you've received the pure message of the gospel, He says here to them, you now test every other claim concerning God on the basis of this one. And it doesn't matter who the messenger is. It doesn't matter if it's me who brought the saving gospel to you in the first place. Coming back now and saying, I have some updates. There's been some developments. It doesn't matter if an angel ascends from heaven. If the message is contrary to the one we preached to you you are to pronounce a curse upon that messenger. And implicit in pronouncing that curse is, of course, to withdraw from that one, to refuse to have anything to do with their influence. Something they've apparently not been doing. This is because the good news of salvation through faith in Christ alone, by His finished work and not by your own work, This is a settled, unchangeable reality. That's why he can say such strong words in verse 8. Now, next week, we're going to see Paul double down on this idea in verse 9 in some important ways. But we stop here in the passage this morning. And even before we bring in verses 9 and 10, there are some important applications of what we have seen. And I want to close by mentioning two of these. Number one, Paul is displaying something that pushes hard against the spirit of the age that we live in. It's called exclusivism. The notion of the, the, uh, the rescue for sinful men being an exclusive path, exclusive to the saving work of Christ and to the message of the true gospel. Christ is... His righteousness is the way and the only way. That's not something that people like to hear in any sphere these days, the only way. My friends, let this be a reminder to us this morning. We must have the courage. This world absolutely, desperately needs it. We must have the courage to tell people that if they are not trusting in Jesus Christ as their righteousness before a holy God, they are not saved. They are still in their sins. Just like we once were. Just like we still would be, but for the grace of Christ. Their passion does not change that. Their relative goodness, or human kindness, or sweet disposition, does not change that. Number two, this reality determines my view of many things. It determines my view of God. If this is the case, God cannot be small. He must be big. Now I can see, as I look at the world through these lenses, I can see that God is sovereign. He is not prone to manipulation if this is how things are. He is the God who sets the terms. Now I can see that God is kind if this is the gracious gospel he's calling us by. Now I can see that God is accessible. He has provided a throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it determines my view of God. It determines my view of myself. This means that true maturity for me looks like developing genuine humility because I'm coming to God with empty hands. And really, this determines my view of every relationship that I am in. His grace is how I came into relationship with Him. And now every relationship is seen through the lens of that Reality. So my marriage, my friendships, my acquaintances must be lived out of the knowledge that every good thing about me is explained by grace. So I will bear with you in those difficult times because someone has borne with me. I will love you even when it costs me to do so because God loved me at the cost of his own son's life. And as we live in this way, as recipients of God's grace, we bear witness to the truth of verse 4. Christ really has and is and will continue his work of delivering us from the present evil age. Let's pray together. Father, we are... We are humbled every time we come before your word through your spirit. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be mightily at work in us now, applying your word to us. And God, we simply thank you for it. We thank you for the food of your word. Help us, Lord, to be a church that is settled in our convictions concerning the gospel and that is settled in our conviction to be a body that lives out the gospel. Lord, protect us from a day ever coming where this church would lose its mantle, where this church would depart from the simple, humble trust in the finished work of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.